Hey, everybody out there. Welcome. This is the U.S. Grace Force podcast. Father Richard Heilman and myself, Doug Barry, with a great guest tonight. I'm going to let Father introduce him and bring him in in just a moment. But of course, everything needs to begin with prayer. Father Heilman? Sure. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Hosts, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay, great. Before we get started, everybody, again, greetings to all of you. Really appreciate you being with us. A couple things. First and foremost, we want to encourage everybody out there to be praying extremely hard for the United States of America and the rest of the world, especially in light of what's happened as our government in the United States has decided to surrender to the Taliban and weaken our relationship with our allies. As you can see, the Blessed Mother behind me with the U.S. flag, we are in dire straits right now. So we want to really, really deepen our prayer. Look, if you ever needed a reason to pray the rosary and to get to confession and get to adoration and get back to mass, if you've been away from mass and so forth and deepen your faith, it's now. Remember what the Blessed Mother said in Fatima to the three children, of the six apparitions, she repeated one thing three times or six times, one thing, six times, once in each apparition. When you pray the rosary, you can avert war and bring peace to the world. And boy, do we need that more than ever right now. So please, please, we ask you pray that rosary, get right with God, get in the state of grace, stay in the state of grace. Let's fight this good fight the best we can from every angle possible. We want to thank everybody out there who supports us in the U.S. Grace Force. The Patreon members have been amazing. If you're interested in becoming a Patreon member and financially supporting us, please click the link in the description below. It is a huge help to us, especially right now. There's so much going on out there trying to shut down message of truth. Those who try to speak the message of truth, which is really what we're getting into tonight. A great book, a great author, and our guest is going to bring that information to us. But I just want to thank again all those out there who have been supporting us with the Patreon program. You are a godsend and you are in our prayer. So thank you so much for that. Don't forget, also check out the U.S. Grace Force official gear page, also in the description below. Get yourself some material, some t-shirt, hoodies, sweatshirts, and so forth. That also helps support the message, getting it out to the world, growing the ranks of the U.S. Grace Force, and it helps support the work that we're doing financially. So thank you for all of that as well. And Father Heilman, I know we've talked a lot about BRC, Battle Ready Coalition, being kind of the training arm, really that kind of an area of training for the United States Grace Force. At the day that this is being released, September 8th, this is the anniversary of the Blessed Mother's birthday, and it is our final day of a special 48-hour, two-day open for the anniversary of one year of BRC. You hear the poppers and streamers and the horns in the background right now. Yay! So we're excited. We want to thank all the BRC members out there and everybody who's watching right now. If you're watching on September 8th, you have until, I believe it's midnight, to get out there and sign up and become a BRC member, Battle Coalition member, join the force and get trained up in U.S. Grace Force spiritual warfare. And let's get into this fight like we never have before because we need Davids and Joan of Arcs and Samsons and all kinds of great saints and warriors, spiritual and natural, to be brought up into the times that we're in right now to fight this good fight. So, Father Heilman, uh, thank you so much for being such a major piece and part of the U.S. Grace Force. And, of course, you founded that, but also of Battle Ready Coalition, my friend. It has been fantastic having you be such a such a, a backer and supporter of what we're doing here with Battle Ready Coalition. So, yeah. thank you for that. Oh, it's awesome. And, uh, you know, I, be, I keep telling people, Doug is 
was made for these times. He, I mean, you, you've been doing this since the mid nineties, I think Doug, or yeah, pretty much yeah. early, early to mid. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah. you've been, you've been pouring your heart, mind, soul, and strength into, into just this. And so, and I, I would say you're, you're the leading expert in this area. So uh, you're getting the best of the best if, if people want to train up on uh, getting battle ready. So uh, please, please, please consider that. Awesome. <clears throat> I want to, um, if you don't mind, I want to talk a little bit about the U.S. Grace Force. I don't do it that often when we do these podcasts, but uh, you mentioned, Doug, that it, now is the time, if there's any other time, to pray the rosary. Mm-hmm. And we do that collectively. With and We're approaching 78,000 that are enlisted in the United States Grace Force. And uh, I think pretty much everybody who's watching is probably enlisted. But if you're not, go to usgraceforce.com and you'll see an easy way to – all you're doing is, is submitting your uh, your name in, in an email, and, and then you get – all the information um, on how to be trained up in the art of spiritual warfare. And you're also given the uh, daily prayers and reflections for uh, the campaigns that we're on. So right now we're on our main campaign. This is the one that, uh, that really started the United States grace force. We believe in the power of God. Um, You know, it was uh, the father whose, whose son was possessed. He came up to Jesus and said, uh, please heal him if you can. And Jesus goes, if I can, (laughs) what do you mean? If I can, yeah, if you believe it will happen, and that's what this collection of seventy-eight thousand uh, mighty souls is doing. We believe, and we're seeing amazing things happen. And we do believe. You know, we're not gonna, we're not going to fold. We're not going to run and hide. Uh, we want we're going to run toward the bullets, uh, so to speak, uh, as the United States Grace Force, and, and get trained up on the art of spiritual warfare. So, please, please, please consider that. Uh, also, I want to bring in uh, my good friend, Father Bill Peckman. Um, Father Bill and I have become awesome friends, although we've never been together physically yet. <laughs> but uh, we've become good, very good friends over the years. Uh, we are kindred spirits. I mean, we just think uh, very much alike. And, uh, and so we, we uh, spend a lot of time texting with each other and, uh, and just sharing our thoughts and, and, and all that. And, and then it was last summer that you went on retreat and came back and said, I got an idea from retreat. And I says, well, if you got it on retreat, it was from the Holy Spirit. So whatever it is, we're doing it. So that one thing led to another, and that led to what's called Let Freedom Ring, uh, a 40-day tactical training for freedom from the devil. I actually have a copy right here. Uh, and that en- en- ended up being a book um, in this past, uh, um, early this year. And... Um, we did, though, the 40 days first last summer, July 7th to August 15th. So we did it as a, as, and, and really I see it as we did, it's an exorcism. You know, when, when, when you pr- bless water in the traditional way, you exercise it first and then you bless it. Well, that's kind of what we did. We, we, we really laid into what the devil's up to and what we ought to do through this. And then on August 15th, we transitioned then to the 54-day rosary novena, and that's the blessing. And that's, a, that's actually a training in holiness. So every day is another aspect of what it means to be holy. And uh, you get a little reflection, easy to digest. And then, uh, and then the, the special prayers for the, fi- the particular 50-day rosary novena. So um, we're doing our best. Um, I think every, all three of us here are, are just we're very hopeful, eternally hopeful that, uh, you know, you said it, uh, Doug, David, 
you know, and Goliath, you know, everybody around him was going, Hey, we're done. We're toast. And David goes up and says, hold, hold my beer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, what and, kind, uh, you know what kind of beer David drank, don't you? <clears throat> what was that? Um, Hebrew, Hebrew beer. <laughs> he, he, or maybe so, it was the, maybe it was the low calorie, less filling version called Israel light. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, probably true, but anyways, uh, <clears throat> so we made this connection and, uh, and we're making many more connections, but so that's all leading into father Bill Peckman, who's, uh, who's amazing reflections on social media are just so powerful. I can't wait to, uh, read the next one. Uh, so much so that church pop started putting them up and, and you're kind of working with them, right? Father. And, um, and, and yeah, the, kinda. they kind of, they kind of grab your reflections because they're so awesome and, and put them up. Anyways, um, so uh, God's gathering all of us together and, and getting us united. We got to get out of the bunkers. You know, I, I, I've been put it that way. That, that it's, it, it's lately in the last year and a half for sure, it's like a bombing raid. And we all dove for the bunkers for cover. Well, we got to get out now and we got to get in the war. And that's what we're trying to do here in the, in the best way that we can with the best way the church teaches. You so, know, you know, Father, but, I'm, I'm sorry. Can I yeah. jump in real quick? You know, a, a good friend of mine who spent 33 years in the Navy uh, as EOD explosive ordnance disposal. He's one of my best friends uh, from childhood. He was talking once about what's happening in the church. And this was six months, a year ago, maybe. And he said, you know, when men in, in the military are pinned down on the beach, as, for example, you imagine Omaha Beach, if anybody saw Saving Private Ryan, the opening scene, yeah. 25 minutes long, they're pinned down on the beach, and they're just getting hammered. And my friend says, you know what, just to put it very simply, this is how he put it. He said, you figure out a way to get off the damn beach. Yep. And you know what, that's just what we need to be looking at right now. Those of us yes. who are striving to be faithful, wherever we are in the world. Yep. You know, as Catholics, as Christians, we have to figure out a way to get off the damn yep. beach and not not just curl up in the fetal position. And, you know, you, Father Highland, you put a post out a while back saying, you know, I'm not looking for the electric blanket faith <laughs> like yeah. that. You're talking about getting into the war. That's right. And, and that takes guts. It takes some grit. It takes yep. spiritual grit. And it takes training and discipline. And yeah. it's step by step. And I, I love, like, Father Peckman, you, you, boy, that book, you... That idea you had for you and Father Heilman and Father Altman to write it was just amazing. My wife and I went through it, and I, I cannot encourage people enough to read that book and, and get into it. It's, it was a powerful way to train up to get off the damn beach and engage in yeah. the war. But what we're really doing, and again, this was Father Peckman's brainchild, is really exposing what the devil's up to mm -hmm. and, and saying, here, you, you need to know this. He's doing this, and then he's doing this. And... Uh, but, but also what you just said, Doug, too, and, and earlier about, um, you know, our fallen comrades in in, um, in Afghanistan, and we're just heart sick about that. Yeah. You look at those, I, I look at those pictures and literally my stomach turns. Uh, it does. Uh, these young, young people, um, virtually all of them were like 20, 22 years old. And, uh, but, uh, I, I, but what's happening is, is that, there's a lot of people that are aware that we are in a spiritual warfare. I was at a Republican uh, dinner. I was asked to give the invocation for it uh, last week. And uh, while well, we were sitting around or standing around before the dinner and just socializing, all these people were coming up to me going, 
we're in spiritual warfare, aren't we, Father? We're in spiritual warfare, aren't we? Just individually, they were coming up to me, and they just wanted to get my reaction to, to that question. Are we in spiritual warfare? And I said, yeah, we certainly are. And what's happening to it, and that made me think real quick. Uh, we started this 501c3 uh, Combat Rosary for Heroes. You'll see it on the Grace Force webpage that we post this, uh, this uh, podcast on. But um, the, they're, they're, we just sent our first 5,000 rosaries, and the reaction has been over the top. It's like 100 times better than I hoped for with the military. But why, why I, I'm, I'm saying is because we do have this strong sense that we are in spiritual warfare. And they feel like this is an effective tool, the rosary, and they like my rosary. But um, uh, I, I was texting uh, just the other day with uh, someone in the Space Force. And uh, they, they, they were showing me they have the, they have the rosary. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but they were also asking, Father, I want to get strong. I mean, I feel like I've been weak in my faith. Can you help me with that? And so we, we spent about an hour texting back and forth. Uh, but you could see the hunger. And, and, and uh, people are uh, red-pilling, that we are in spiritual warfare. And <clears throat> so I'm going to stop talking here, but I want to bring in Father Bill Peckman because this book that you've uh, discovered, Father Bill, is uh, amazing. Uh, the Church in Crisis, um, The Pathway Forward by, um, throw it out to me real quick. Ralph Martin. Ralph Martin. How did I forget Ralph yes. Martin? Not James. Ralph, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's like uh, James Altman and James Martin. I've called him Martin, James Martin a couple times. But anyways, um, uh, it is incredible. He was trying to tell me, you got to get this book. You got to get it. Okay, okay. I'll get <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and I did. And I was, I was telling him uh, earlier, thanks a lot. Because there were two nights in a row where I was up at like three or four in the morning. Cause I couldn't stop, you know, it was just that good. And, and we're really encouraging everybody to please, please, please get this book, the church in crisis, the pathway forward. But we want to hit on uh, this tonight. And uh, father bill, um, if you could help us kind of give an overview of, um, of what this, this, uh, what Ralph Martin's tr really trying to do with this book, uh, the church in crisis, a pathway forward. When I started reading it, the first impression I got is kind of like a doctor who is trying to understand the illness that's being presented to him. Nice. And then making a diagnosis that will actually help with... Um, Very nice. Containing, if not conquering, that disease altogether. Right. And um, there were two sections that, you know, the first part is really looking at um, the chaos that we're living in right now. Yep. both as a country and as a church. And I think the word chaos is a, a great word for where we're at right now. Yep. And one of the things that he, uh, Dr. Martin says over and over again, is that a lot of the things that um, the experimentation that came out right after the Second Vatican Council, because a lot of the people were not actually concerned with what Vatican II actually said, they were more interested in this you know, innocuous spirit of Vatican II. Right. That that was all tapped down under um, St. John Paul II and Benedict XVI, and now it's roaring back with a vengeance. Yep. 
and it's created a great deal of confusion, throw in a pandemic on top of that, and confusion is reigning right now. But that confusion has you know, been with us for some time. And he points out two things, and I want to get into both of them eventually. One is um, a heresy called universalism, and then the deep impact the sexual revolution had. Yep. And that we're seeing especially being accommodated um, by many in the hierarchy, and especially we're seeing this in Germany in particular. Right. So um, for those who don't know what universalism is, um, in a nutshell, it's a belief that um, the love and mercy of God is so irresistible that everybody eventually buckles to it and everybody goes into heaven. So that there's a hell is indifferent, um, that there's judgment goes away. And what universalism does, aside of give us this nice feeling that, you know, no matter how bad of a person you are, you eventually end up in heaven anyway. Um, or uh, there's also a belief within universalism that the souls of the damned just are um, annihilated and cease to exist. So, and all this is contrary to what we see in the scriptures, which is why it's heretical. And um, it's really influenced a lot of what we see in how um, the moral life is lived in the church right now. A question I have asked myself for the last 20 years um, is how can a priest pray on his flock and still touch the Blessed Sacrament, let alone yeah. say Mass? How can he do that? Right. How can we see so much of the scandal that we've seen in the last 20 years if there wasn't this belief that it didn't matter what I do, you know, that I'm going to heaven anyway, so I might as well enjoy the ride, whatever that means. Yeah. And when there is no consequence for action, you only make the action, you know, more prevalent. And, you know, when we see, especially, he brings up the whole uh, issue with McCarrick several times in the book as a case in point. The, that how do you get to this juncture and still believe in a God who judges? Yeah. And without a God who judges, you know, I, I pointed this out in the homily last weekend at my parish, that if there is no judgment, no wonder 65% of Catholics don't go to church and 65% of Catholics don't believe in the real presence and an even greater percentage um, don't go to confession you know, that Catholics are more likely to believe on sexual issues, you know, the secular moral teaching than the Catholic moral teaching. Um, certainly, you never hear about hell anymore from pulpit or purgatory for that matter, or judgment, you know, the four last things have turned into the one last thing. It all makes sense if people have bought into universalism. If they bought into this idea that you know, if I want to be Catholic and go to church, it's kind of like a pious hobby. Mm -hmm. And then if I don't, well, that's fine too. I'm going to end up in heaven anyway. Or it builds your brand, your personal brand yeah. by going it's, to church. But it, you look at what's happening within the German church now, you know, and the things that they want to approve of. You can't believe in a God who judges and hold those particular um, beliefs anyway 
or hold those particular beliefs. Because we know that, for example, you know, the ideas with um, gay marriage and things do not, you know, they go against the basics of the faith. But the German bishops are saying, no, 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 that's fine. You know, we'll accept it. We'll even bless it. Well, how do you pull off such a discrepancy that on the other hand, you know, revealed truth says one thing, but on the other hand, well, you know, why bother listening to that? Father, what was your take in general as you read this book? I know the first half seems to focus on a lot of the problems, the diagnosis, and I've heard that, you know, from some of the reviews as well on the book is that he he takes it apart like a surgeon and really breaks things down. The second half speaks more of the pathways forward about hope and such. But, you know, as you're reading through it, I mean, and you've been a priest for, for how many years now, Father? 24. 24 years. So as you're reading through it, how are you seeing it as you've lived through seeing what's gone on? You've been under three different popes, um, John Paul, Pope Benedict, and now Pope Francis. And, and, and certain statements that have been coming out of the Vatican, you know, not going to go after the Pope or anything here, but some of the statements, one of the more recent ones, early mid-August, when he speaks about the commandments, that he follows them, but not as absolutes. I mean, that, that stirred some things up again. We get these types of statements coming out of the Vatican that really seem to be, as you said, confusing. So you as a priest of 24 years, and I know Father Heilman, you've celebrated, I think, 31? 33. 33 now. Um, for, so Father Peckman, you first. How does this affect you as you read through Father, I'm uh, sorry, not Father, but Ralph Martin, uh, breaking down the details as he kind of diagnoses the problem? Part of it is going, you know, one of my great loves is history. So we have been through these kind of things before in the church's history. It's very intense right now because uh, of several factors, mainly because society is quickly falling apart along with it. Um, it's a line, I can't remember which of the seven churches um, in the book of Revelations this is addressed to, but the accusation is you've lost your first love and you need to return back to your first love. And this idea that we have allowed, you know, whether it's a sexual revolution or the heresy of uh, universalism, uh, a desire to be accepted by the society, you know, fill in the blank, to draw us away from God much the way that the balls drew the people of Israel away from God. And we know that there's a pathway out because that pathway has been taken before. And it's returning back to that idea that God is the center of our life and that divine revelation is just that it's divine revelation. It's not just another opinion that's co-equal with other opinions. Mm -hmm. And with that, that we have to be able to get onto the field and battle and stand up for these things because the churches not in writing, but in um, preaching, has largely fallen silent um, on everything from sexual ethics to marriage, family life. Um, we've just kind of fallen silent for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And then the elements of the church that want to renew how the church teaches about human sexuality, about family, they have been you know, growing their voice almost unabated yeah yeah and there needs to be you know 
are standing up. And it's not just a matter of clerics. I mean, I think go back to something that Fulton, Archbishop Fulton Sheen said. It's not going to be the clergy who saves the church. Mm -hmm. It's going to be the lady. Yeah. Basically capturing that idea of faithfulness again and pushing back against what they know is wrong. Yeah. So pushing them back against the universalism, against the um, co-opting of sexual ethics. I mean, all the scandals that we have suffered and we will continue to suffer because I really don't think that we're doing enough to address the core of why these things are the way they are. But for you personally, Father Peckman, <laughs> I'm curious, for you personally, as you read the book, uh, did, it, did it impact and affect the way you preach at all? Did it? Oh, did yeah. It, yeah, and in what way? As a priest, you got bolder. You were telling been, me, you got a little bit brassier. You were telling me, with your yeah, preaching. it's it has been a good examination of conscience for me because there's a lot of time in listening to the book. I'm just like, do I do that? Am I, you know, do I soft pedal things? Um, how bold do I get about things? Am I identifying? So I've been on a tear, for example, on universalism. Um, for more than a couple weeks with the homilies. Nice. And on a tear about that the teachings of the church are non-negotiable when it comes to sexual morality. Nice. And yes, it's hard and yes, it's difficult, but God gives us his grace to conquer these things. Yep. And we, you know, and then telling people we just, we have to step up. <clears throat> we can't hide anymore. We can't uh, plead ignorance and hope it all goes away. Has you, have you gotten any feedback from your parishioners as you've, have you preached a little brassier? No. Because yeah, you're in a little, yeah. new, you're in new ground there too, right? Yeah, I'm in new ground. So this is all new for them. So, you know, they're just taking it all in. I, um, I got transferred two months ago. Oh, so okay. uh, They're like, what the so heck? So they just think here? this is the way I am. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so, but... The feedback has been mostly positive. I mean, Good. it's not going to be completely positive because people are having their Apple cards knocked over. Yeah. And, you know, it's this idea of, I want to do it the way that um, Dr. Martin does it in the book. He's fully truthful, surgically so, but he does so with a great deal of charity. Mm -hmm. you, you can tell something, tell somebody what they're doing is wrong but it should be with the um, goal of bringing them back into where they need to be and not just merely saying you're beyond help, you know, be gone. Yeah. Or just, or just uh, wanting to win the argument. You know, yeah. I feel like, yeah, I, I got my points in. Yeah. I, I don't want to win the argument. I want to win the soul. Right. Exactly. Can I tell you my train of thought when I was reading this? Cause I've, I've been talking about the sixties. There was like an explosion, the sexual revolution and that, um, and I started, I started, you know, Father, connect the dots, right? But uh, I've talked with exorcists, and uh, many of them that I've talked to about this agree that in 1973, uh, a, a portal was open uh, to allow demons to enter in. And that was right about the time where that, that sexual revolution was really getting legs, okay? It, it kind of transitioned from the hippies into the disco movement. And everybody was having sex. It's just what you did. But you could tell you, there, there was a moment, 1973, that that happened. Uh, it would be five years later that we would get John Paul II. But uh, he was met with the universalists, uh, pro progressive bishops, 
who, like you said, Father, they took control with their Spirit of Vatican II meme that they, they used to push all their goody lists through and, and their universalism through. That was all happening at that time. So initially with, with John Paul II, he didn't have an army behind him, really, to, to help him push that. So I think, I, I think he built trust in those first years, right? And uh, now what's interesting is, and you think of Jonah and the 40 days until, right? 40 is 40, 40, uh, always time, 40 uh, years in the desert. Fast forward halfway through those 40 years, what are you, to 1993? And what happens there? That's when uh, Mother Angelica had her, um, you know, rant against the progressive bishops. And, and she just she just went through the whole list of everything that they're doing. I'm tired of it, she said. And, and she even, um, it's, it said that the, that the bishops were going to try to take over EWTN. And she said, I'll blow the thing up before I get your hands on. That's how, that's how forceful she was against the hierarchy, or at least the aggressive, progressive, universalist hierarchy at the time that, that had control. What happened then? EWTN emerged, and then Doug Barry came in. <laughs> no, remember that? There's a heyday, Doug? You were part of the whole heyday of, of, of EWTN, but it, everybody started tuning in, and they loved it, but they loved her uh, her veracity, so her willingness to call spade a spade, to, mm -hmm. to call out those the hierarchy that was destroying our church at the time, Right. So that oh, yeah. was 19, that was 20 years in. You know what I find interesting? I'm going to fast forward now to uh, 73, 40 years later is 2013. You know what happened in 2013? First, um, the um, uh, ISIS emerged right then in the early years of, of 2013. You know what else happened? The, the nothing to lose second term of Obama started hmm. where he could just do anything he wanted and didn't fear consequences because it was his last term, all right? And we would, we'd shortly after that, we'd see the Supreme Court usher in same-sex marriage. We would see uh, the uh, religious freedoms being taken away. We would see the ushering in of Obamacare, which we all know is the goal is to get in that, that socialism leading to Marxism and take our freedoms away, get us dependent on the government, so we have to do it their way. That was the big fear about all that. Uh, but the other thing that happened, and this all, ISIS, Obama starting his second term, and the third one was Benedict resigned. Uh, basically on 40 years of the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. And you, Father, you're talking about this, and maybe you can, you can expound on this a little bit more, but you're saying right now, right now, I mean, it's just coming so fast. I mean, a grown man can go into a little girl's bathroom and uh, it's becoming popular to change your gender. I mean, you could just keep going on and on. They're, 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 they're trying to destroy the economy so they could build a dependence. Of the, and, and it's basically, there, there's your, uh, your, your racism, you know, that you're, they're, they're, they're making, they're abusing minorities. To, to get them to, to, to be uh, dependent on their handouts. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, but it, you can keep going on and on and on. And it's just coming in so fast. 2013 for sure, but the last year and a half, it's almost like 
they're just they're they're dealing the last blow. And here we are at the 450th anniversary of um, Battle of Lepanto, and it was the same with the Turks. We're coming in, and it's over. You know, you're so weak, you're so divided that we it's our time. We're coming in, and we're taking over. And 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 I'll end with this, Doug. You said it. What what won the Battle of Lepanto? The mm. power of God. But through the intercession of the Blessed Mary, Blessed Mother, with the Rosary. Mm-hmm. So, do you see? Do you see the Father connect the dots there? Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. Father, what's your feel on what's you know? Do you agree with that? That there's a special, um, uh, just a, a, a like in the '60s with the sexual, but it's exploding right now, isn't it? It's it, and it goes back to the '60s. There were two things that, as you were talking. I think we, we see a lot of individuals within the hierarchy taking a page out of um, the 60s, where after uh, Paul VI released Humanae Vitae, bishops simply disregarded it, laughed yeah. at it. Theologians just laughed at it. Yeah. And it, it's interesting because Paul VI was prophetic in that because he said, everything you think is going to happen, the opposite is going to happen in spades. And it has. Um, the sexual revolution still roaring. Oh yeah, because there's still things to despoil. What and do you mean? Also, I'm sorry. Can you, can you expound on that? It's still roaring. There's still stuff to despoil. To spoil. Yeah. What do you What do you mean by that? I've been watching this for 20 years, and the next domino to fall, and it's going to fall. Um, unless we stand up, is going to be the age of consent. They're already going for it. Pedophilia. Pedophilia. That's the next domino to fall. I know. And and I think that was the ultimate goal all along. Um, Because you just won't have reached the depths of depravity until, you know, there's the on there. It was interesting when the McCarrick thing came out, and I think the uh, Pennsylvania Grand Jury came out at the same time, that the media downplayed the whole the whole homosexual thing. They 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 downplayed the uh, pedophilia thing, and everything was about the cover up. Yeah. And I remember looking at that and I'm like, hmm, why aren't they all in a tither about the pedophilia like they were in 2002? What happened in those years? If you go back how the stories were covered back in, uh, what, three, four years ago, it's they're not going to knock the behavior that they're hoping to approve of. So the sexual revolution still roars on. And in the, um, in the society, it's the 60s have come roaring back just in the disregard for authority. Um, the disenchantment with authority, the idea that um, do what you will, uh, do what you feel is right, um, just that kind of odd revolution, you know, I think, what is it, the 68 DNC convention that was just sheer pandemonium? We're heading right back down there. I mean, you look at BLM, Antifa, other things just building this sense of chaos in the society. You know, I, who would have thought two years ago that saying the statement, there are two genders, would be a controversial statement that would be enough for you to lose your job? Yeah. 
the chaos is all ramped right back up again. Now, I, I'm going to put this out here. I was in single digits during the 60s, so I don't remember them at all. But I do remember the 70s and just kind of the loose everything. Yep. And almost the hostility toward um, authority. Yep. Yeah. So the question is, how do we, how do we combat this? Because I, you know, John Paul II came along in the late seventies and started on at least the religious end, combating all this. I think he took a look at how the bishops treated Paul VI with humanae vitae, and he said he got an army behind him. Um, and That's what started... I believe he did. I think he was building an army, and he was kind of building his brand uh, in that first, uh, call it 15 years to 1993, because really, I mean, you look at what was going on in the church, nothing hardly changed, but he was building his army. Then in 93, that army just exploded in number. And there was a literally a heyday with that, with Mother Angelica, EWTI, she's got to become a saint. But, mm -hmm. but, and then even vocation started to rise again, right? During that time and devotion. And we, we were able to have adoration. I mean, people didn't even know what that was by that time. You know, <clears throat> a devotion to the Blessed Mother, all this you, you was gone. From seventy-eight to ninety-three, just sincere at all, but 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 he got his army behind him, and it started coming in, and at that's, least for the next twenty years. And that's when he started unloading the big cyclicals like Evangelium Vitae, exactly. um, uh, the one on moral he theology, three right at the, the millennium, uh, right yeah. the millennium. Uh, three powerful ones. You know, just a uh, really calling into, you know, for example, I can't think of the one about moral theology. He had but battle buddies. Moral, he didn't have any before. He had battle buddies. He didn't have any before yeah. that. But the uh, encyclical he did on um, on moral theology, and the name's just completely gone out of my head, he took the task, especially liberation theology. Yep. Liberation theology is coming back with a vengeance right The aging hippies got back in charge. And again, I, I just marked 2013 as the time where they went, okay, right. the tide's turning, we're, we're coming back. Because up to that point, you think about it, I mean, who is in vogue? Uh, Cardinal Burke, you know, Cardinal Seurat, you know, uh, of course, uh, Pope Benedict, my own Bishop Morlino. Now they peg Bishop Morlino, God rest his soul, as just an absolute freak, you know, far right nutcase, you know, but not, not back then. Uh, the, the, they were they were uh, the generals at the time, and and it was, again it was a Haiti. The, how about the John Paul II priests? I tell people I was ordained ten years after John Paul became bishop or became pope, and I'm not a John Paul II priest. Uh, I was I was ordained in eighty eight ninety three on, were the devout young men who came in, and they were pegged with the name. John Paul II priests. So this will all happen. And then it's just like, you know, a resignation of Pope Benedict, uh, you know, and um, and the, the nothing to lose term of, of this radical secular um, president. It's just like, boom, we're coming back. Get out of our way. 
Yeah. Right. Uh, very toddy splendor. I think. Yeah. Was, I uh, just, I remembered it. Yeah. I did. A, I did too. Uh, through Google. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I remember I was in, I was in world, um, uh, world youth day in 93 and Cherry Creek state park. You were I there. Here. I was there. Yeah. With we the had just woman, started. Jesus. Well, we start. Yeah. Oh yeah. And we were That's just, got rather yeah. Going. yeah, we were just outside the stadium and all the buzz started when that happened. And for the audience who doesn't know what we're talking about, there was a woman who portrayed Christ in the stations of the cross. Yeah. Inside uh, Denver Bronco stadium. Yep. And we were outside me and my, I had a bunch of people who worked with me and, and uh, for me of my ministry radix. And we heard the buzz and people were just, they were, they were shocked by this. So many people. And then shortly after that is when mother Angelica just hammered. She came down hard. on. She the was introduced by father Timothy Dolan on that show. I found that interesting <laughs> before he became Cardinal yeah. Timothy Dolan. But I remember the closing mass at Cherry Creek state park. There were, I don't know, 800,000 to a million, whatever the number was. And the Holy father, comes in, he flies in in a helicopter, they bring him in and we're, we're in the thick of this sea of people. So we can't see him, you know, very close, but up on the screen, he's up there and he's, he's speaking to, to us and he says, young people, you should not be ashamed of the gospel. And then he went on a little bit and he stopped and he lifted his head from his, his, uh, his words that he'd written down. And he said, wait, I should not have said you should not be ashamed of the gospel. You should be proud of the gospel. And the, they went, we went nuts. Nice. And those words, be proud of the gospel, nice. came out of him in the way he delivered it. Were so just, there was something so sincere and so legitimate about that, that it affected our, our ministry like crazy. We wrote, we did a whole album. We did a whole music album and, you know, called The World Over. And the opening song was Be Proud of the Gospel. And it was just upbeat, you know, strong. So even for us, it was a major, major shot in the arm. And you got to think about the time, you know, especially in the 80s when, when he was the Holy Father in the 80s, the president, we had President Reagan and the two of them, you know, working to, you know, to tear down the wall and work against communism. And, and that's not what we have right now on nope. either, in either department, nope. you know? And it's just, it's, you know, for, you know, those of us, the audience members and us three who remember John Paul and remember President Reagan. I mean, I was born in 65 and I remember Reagan. I remember you know, assassination attempt against both of these men, yep. you know, and here we are now dealing with what we have now where we're, we're, we're on the verge of this. Well, it's not the verge, but this great reset unfolding and, and this, you know, we've got to be more concerned about climate change than, about really adhering to the commandments or the beauty of the traditional mass. And wow, what an amazing turnaround where you are now. So what's so your father, take father and all that? Yeah. I was going to say father Peckman, how do you, how do you see this? You know, this, this amazing 180 degree twist. It seems like we've had. I don't know if it's the last gasp of the hippies, you know, this kind right. of last wave right. before they are completely out altogether. Or it's just a, a result of the chaos that's going on right now. Um, I, I think all this went into hiding under John Paul and under Benedict and just felt like, it, you know, it had to roar back sometime before there was nothing left of them to do so. 
And I think the confusion brought on in the society uh, by, you know, the approval of um, gay marriage and transgenderism, which really kind of threw everything in a loop in our society. And then there seemed to be a, how should I say this gently, a lack of doctrinal fortitude no cohesiveness okay that we had gotten used to under um the previous two popes mm -hmm. and so he points out uh, dr martin does several times that um the pope will say something and then it has to be walked back and sometimes he'll privately walk that back he talks about a a uh, conversation he had with bishop schneider and he clarified and he was you know the clarification was was great but he wouldn't publicly say it right. and i think when people are left to speculate about what somebody means they will come up with their own desires to fill in the blanks let, let, let me give you two words weaponized ambiguity mm. I mean, it just, and I don't want to pick on all Jesuits and, and generalize, but that seems like a Jesuitical thingy, you know, uh, that, that keep it unclear. And, and father, you're, you're, you're a, uh, you're a great, you're a great historian here. Isn't that what happened with Vatican documents? Am I right? That in my history that they had one, um, the, the version and then that didn't satisfy the more progressive. So they basically said the same thing, but only in more amb ambiguous language so that they could get, do their spirit of Vatican II thing after the council closed. Am I right about I that? I've never heard that before, but I have heard that there were some um, ambiguous statements that um, were left in that were jumped upon by the more progressive wing of the church. Uh, see, here's where we're going to take, it's, how would I say, it's cherry picking. I, I'm going to find something in here that will leave enough open for me to right. say, it's sure. in the document, but here's what I want to believe. Yep. And so, um, it, in the book itself, and, this, and it's something that I've long believed about the Second Vatican Council is that, the vast majority of what's written in the Second Vatican Council is largely unknown by most people, including the clergy. Because what became known was, again, the spirit of Vatican II. You know, if you look at Sancto Tantum Concilium and you look at what's done in most churches, right. Sancto Tantum Concilium never envisioned nope. what is now. As a matter of fact, the general structure of the Roman Missal really doesn't envision what happens in most parishes. Right I know. Um, and we've gotten so used to being able to do what we want. And, we, and you know, liturgically, even under, you know, the strong hopes that we had, this stuff just existed. Um, and, but it just kind of was underneath the surface. Yep. And I think by the time that John Paul II came around, it had become the norm. Hmm. And so it was, how should I say I think that a lot of the progressive part of the church, have you ever heard of the concept of an Overton window? Oh, yeah. And I think that's the ploy they've been playing. Yep. You know, we'll we do that go outrageous. Culture, and do it then, in politics. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and, and we'll pull it into where we wanted it to be so that we seem like we're being reasonable. Right. Can, can but you, uh, then we'll expand it more and more. It's basically as time it goes on. That, that you kind of, it's almost like you move the goalposts in a certain direction so that the, 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 the middle part um, becomes acceptable, but you find it way over to the left or the right. Is that, am I right about the Overton window? Yeah, it's some, well, it's more like, um, how should I say, say I want $500 from you for no reason at all. So I, I tell you, give me $1,000. And you're like, no, I'm not going to give you $1,000. Well, I'll, I'll take $750. No, no, I'm not going to. Well, how about $500? And then you give me $500. Right. I seem reasonable because I've cut down in half what I wanted. Right. And you right. give me the five hundred dollars and that's yeah, kind of how why, the overton window works yeah which is why the left starts out with like 18 trillion dollars that they want to spend so, yeah okay we'll settle for three trillion you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. we sound like we're really getting a break on that yeah <laughs> but I, I mean for example when you look at liturgy you know in, in most places the overton window came in the form of liturgical dance and some of the more outlandish things and so when they were willing to drip that down and we'll just celebrate, you know, we'll just kind of, you know, sell for grow altar servers and getting rid of the community rail. Yeah. Don't we seem reasonable? Don't we seem reasonable? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. And I think for what happened, it's just kind of that slow burn. Yeah. Well, you, and you where, can, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you can see how they've done that with certain, you know, so-called, you know, well, the moral issues. You know, uh, you know, same-sex marriage and so forth, and yep. so-called same-sex marriage in different areas where they, instead of well, this really extreme over here, we're, well, what if we just settle for blessing them, blessing the relationship? Right. And now right. the, the Germans, you know, German church has gone that way now. Right. Um, which, by the way, I want to make a note here. I'm going to write this down, Father Heilman, Jesuitical thingy. <laughs> I, that was just, I just got to remember Jesuitical thingy. Thingy. <laughs> thingy. That's. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. That's that's my uh Mundelein Seminary theological background there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesuitical thingy. <laughs> well, I think you pair all this with the worldliness of greed. And really, let's be honest, what's happened in the German church now is driven by money. Mm -hmm. It's driven by that tax that um the German uh government takes out and gives to the um know, various great. churches. They're like billionaires, and, the churches. Oh yeah, they're, they're billionaires. They don't, they don't care if anybody comes to yeah, the church. Yeah, could you, could no. Father Peckman, could you break down a little more for the audience and, and for myself? What I've, I've heard a little bit about this, the German church, the money, the tax, and so forth. Okay. They, they've got a very unique way of doing things financially with their people in the church, financially. Yeah. Right. It's something that's it's common among Europe. In Germany, it's because I think it's 8 or 9% of the income goes to whatever church you check off in your um, your box when you do your taxes. And that money goes to, you know, to the church and is dolled out according to, I guess, where you live. You don't actually have to go to church, but people will check that box because they want to be buried in the church. Mm. So they, they want that funeral. Um, and but, but they have to take it out, right? You, you, it, huh? it, has, it has to be taken out to some church. It has right? to be taken out. Yeah. It has to be taken out in their taxes. And so what happens is um, over time, as we've seen in the United States where, you know, people, well, I don't want to get buried in the church. I don't need to get married in the church. I don't need to get, you know, have a funeral in the church. 
Well, they're stopping checking that box. And so they got to find a way to get people to check their box again. Well, if they go the way of the society, so the acceptance of gay marriage, um, giving people who are um, divorced and remarried without um, an annulment, you know, Holy Communion, these are ways of bringing them back into the church again, because, you know, we, we're not going to do that with the truth. You know, we'll drive more people away. But it just becomes a, a big problem, and not just for Germany, but, you know, he points out in the book that two other countries, Poland and Ukraine, their bishops' conferences have asked the German bishop conference to knock it off because the progressives in their countries now are trying to take the same route that the German bishops have. Right. Precedent. And, and to their credit, the Polish and Ukrainian bishops are pushing back, saying, no, we're not going in that direction. Yeah, I think Poland, who was it? Was it, uh, uh, somebody said that uh, Poland in the, in the end will save the world. I, I absolutely believe that. One of the, one of the um, apparitions or something like that. In the end, Poland will save the world. I, I think it was Faustino. Yeah, it was Faustino. Um, but anyway, um, you know, Father, uh, so I, I, we're almost out of time here. So maybe we could wrap things up. What, what did he uh, offer as the uh, pathway forward in yeah. general terms, maybe because of, yeah, where's yeah, where's the hope in all? Of yeah, this, what's, where's the hope in all of this? Where's the hope, and that comes down to each individual that reads this. First of all, is um, embracing the truth again, and and, and allowing it to change us. Um, getting back into this understanding that the church is about the salvation of souls. It is about, you know, the grace of the Holy Spirit. It's not about the more business end kind of things, which is what's been driving the German church. And it's about a return to holiness. Yeah, I, I picked up this book because about 20 years ago, maybe not that long, I picked up a book by him called Called to Holiness. And it's one of those five books that transformed the way that I saw Catholicism, that I saw my faith life, and that I saw um, how I was to be a priest, that, you know, my job was to call people to holiness. And so it, it's a, to use a battlefield um, image, it's taking back the battle, or it's taking back the field acre by acre, inch by inch. And you get enough people that are willing to do that, then you have the same kind of army that John Paul II had, right. that are willing to say, no, we are going to stick to Christ, we're going to stick to, stick to the faith. And we have, you know, the likes of Cardinal Seurat, Cardinal Burke, and others who are willing to, you know, be out there on the forefront and say, no, this is where we need to be. And, you know, if I'm not liked, I'm not liked. Yeah, well, and that we have to be willing in, in with all this to <clears throat> embrace the idea of the, that we might face, face persecution for it, hmm. and to find you know the same joy that led the you know saints of the early church to sing hymns as they were going out to the lines, you know, to have that same kind of joy, that same kind of faith again, because that's what transformed the first time around. 
Yeah, you know, Father, that's that that book is a book that my wife had read, and she, the Call to Holiness from Ralph yeah. Martin, just really impacted her a, a lot. You know, I have a much holier, more amazing wife, and I didn't know she could become more amazing, but she did after reading that book. Uh, but I will say this too: you know, you talk about. Um, you know, the fact that we're, we're going to face persecution. And I like, you know, the pathways forward idea here. Let's, let's all just consider what our personal, you know, responsibility is. And I think about the three servants in Matthew 25, where God, you know, you know, was telling us through that parable, Jesus is telling us that the talents are given to each of the three, five, two, and one talents, each according to their abilities but each of them is still called to do something with those talents. And the one that gets in trouble is the one that doesn't do anything with one, one talent. So for the person out there who thinks, well, I don't have, you know, I'm not, I'm not a priest. I, I can't do what you two can do. I, I, I can't look at that. I'm, I'm just, a, I'm a layman, but I still have to do what I can with the talents that God gives me, whatever, whatever they are. I have to do something with them and they have to grow in holiness and I have to grow in virtue and so forth and such. This one, this one servant with this one talent, you know, is called, even though he tells the master, I was afraid of you, you know, you're a, you're a, you're a tough master, you gather where you don't, you know, plant, you reap where you don't sow, so I buried it, here it is back. He didn't do anything bad with it. This, this parable always gets me. But he didn't do anything evil with it. Like the prodigal son, for example, who wasted his father's money on sinful living, you know, but comes back and begs forgiveness and he's, he's given the mercy. This one just doesn't do anything bad. I mean, it's not like he's wrecking the world or wrecking other people's lives or doing anything dark with it, but he doesn't do anything with it. And, our, and, and the master calls him a, a lazy servant. He calls him a useless servant. And he has him thrown out into the wailing and grinding of teeth department. This is not good to take the one talent that we might have. So I encourage anybody listening or watching right now, whatever you've been given, by the grace of God, grow it in holiness, do something with it and engage in this fight and get off this beach. Let's all work together to get off this beach. It's, okay. it's, it's just incredible to think about what we can do when we unite, but we've got to take every little thing seriously. You know, the guy that's driving the truck with the equipment in the back to the front line so the soldiers can have their ammo and their warm boots for the winter war, whatever it is, drive your truck the right way, the best way, and get that ammunition, get that, that, that su those supplies up to those guys on the front lines, and so forth and so forth. The guy that loads the jet with the jet fuel, the guy that changes the tires on the Jeep or the Humvee, whatever. And we're in a Jeep hat, by the way, just so everybody knows. I got my nice. Jeep hat on here, yeah. So, But you know what? The guy that changes the oil on the vehicle, you're part of this. So whoever you are out there, and it all starts, of course, with with prayer, sacraments, get that rosary prayed. No excuses. If our lady's going to say it's that powerful, what is our excuse to say, oh, I don't get anything out of it? You know, Father Heilman, you and I have talked a lot about this. You know, people say, oh, I don't feel anything when I pray the rosary. Well, I normally don't either, but I still pray it because I know she's asked for it. Our Lord is the one who sends her to the world to ask for it. What's my excuse to not engage in it? Anyway, I just want to bring up that little thing, you know, Father Peckman, you, you talk about the individual person reading this book and how it affects them. Every single one of us can play a part here. Every single one of us, just like the guy with the one talent, he was called to do something with that talent and we can't skirt that responsibility. There's my little rant. That was a beautiful rant. Thank yeah. you. <clears throat> Appreciate that. Yeah. I want to dovetail off that though. Yeah. And because if you go back to that parable, 
if the master got that upset with the person who squandered the one, what would have been with the one who had received the five? Ooh, yeah. And, you know, this is more or less what I'm going to say is directed to my brother, the priest, mm. is we have to chase anything of universalism out of our lives. I think a lot of us has lost the idea that someday we will have to stand before God and give an accounting of the shepherding that we, we did. Yep. And that the flock that is put in our care belongs to Christ first. He gave us a way to shepherd that flock and to shepherd it toward the kingdom of heaven. Yep. And we're responsible. And we got to understand we're responsible. If I had the money, I would send every priest and cleric in this country this book. Just uh, for that yeah, sense of an examination please. of conscience of, am I doing these things? Am I preaching these things? Yep. Because especially with universalism, it's the, the, line, the strings are so thin yeah. that they can weave themselves up into the most orthodox of homilies. Yep. And we need to stamp this out because without it, you know, we can't. Um, combat the things that we're doing in our society because if there is no heaven or if there's no hell then the moral teachings make no sense and if we're buying into that then we're not going to preach about the moral teachings you know we're going to preach you know do good avoid evil god bless you you know put your check in the basket put your check in the basket yeah (laughs) father that's a great place for us to end our time is up here um and you're going on vacation aren't you Yes, heading God, out to Colorado. I just got off of mine. Can you tell I had some sun while I was on vacation? <laughs> but anyways, uh, no, this was great. I knew it would be, and it was. Yeah, thank you, Father. But please, everybody, get this book. I, I wish there was a way we figure out how to get this uh, viral to everybody get this book. But it is a monumental. What'd you say in the last five or ten years? Monumental yeah, work. I mean, yeah, it's unbelievable. So this is a game changer. Um, it's a game changer. It really is. And he leaves no stone unturned. It's, it's, he hits everything. So please, please, everyone get this book. Uh, thank you, Ralph Martin, for your, your great work. I, he's a man that's uh, big into the power of the Holy Spirit, you can tell. So, all right. Thanks. Uh, Father, If you could you end us yeah. with a little prayer? Sure. The Father, Father. the Son, the Heavenly Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to draw us closer to your heart to purge from our lives those things that are not of you, to give us a sense of our presence before you, who we are, so that we may be able to see in truth if we are harboring things in our hearts that are not of you, if we have lost our sense of divine judgment, and if we have found compromise with the world. Cleanse us, we pray by the gift of your Holy Spirit, so that we may be what you call us to be and be the army that is needed to take back this church. Amen. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Holy Spirit. Son, Holy Spirit. Thanks, Father Bill Peckman. Thank you, Father. Thank you.